We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blue Wire. What is up, Nets fans? Welcome to the Brooklyn Buzz. I'm Nick Faye. With me as always, Jack Manuel and Jack. We are talking about another Nets playoff loss to the Sixers. Obviously, 102-97. The Nets now down 3-0 in the series. An extremely painful loss. Jack, how are we feeling? What a disaster. Yeah. I mean, the last four to two minutes of this game was a disaster. It was a ton of drama, spicy stuff going on from the first two minutes on. We're going to jump with that in plenty more. Make sure you check the buzz on all streaming platforms. Also, give us fun on Instagram at Brooklyn Buzz Pod. But, Jack, where do we begin? I honestly have no idea, Nick. Like, if we're starting with the good, we start with that awesome third quarter, which was some of the best basketball I've seen this iteration of the Nets play on both ends of the floor. If we want to start with the worst, we go to the fourth quarter in the last two to four minutes, as you're alluding to, or that second quarter where the offense was as stagnant as, I don't know, a snail. Like, it was just nothing. And it was this game, like, there's plenty of stuff that can happen in a 48-minute game of basketball. This felt like four games in one with the amount of incidents going on with the all of the BS, the officiating, Joel and B, James Harden, Nick Claxton. I honestly don't know what is the pertinent point, but our season is likely over as Nets fans. And it feels like that the Nets are better at losing games where they're in a winning position than they are at just losing games. But they're one of the best teams in the NBA at. When they have a winning position, they're just so good at throwing away a win. They're just like elite at that. If there was like a table... The Nets would be like the first seed and going to the NBA Finals when it comes to losing unwinnable, unlosable games. Like, come on, man. Like, the Nets should have had this. Yeah, I think the Sixers ended the game on 11-1 run. Very similar to the way the game ended in February post-All-Star uh, break. Um, I think you really look at a couple key plays down the stretch. You know, one of the biggest plays is that Royce O'Neal turnover and not the, you know, the one at the end of the game, the one at the 94, 96 point Tyrese Maxey gets the ball, gets a fast break opportunity, scores two, 96, 96. And from that point on, the Nets really were having a hard time generating offense. You know, Spencer Dinwiddie gets two free throws, hits one of them, another possession down after a Maxey shot. Dinwiddie goes to the rim, gets blocked by Embiid. That's that's pretty much seems like it's it. You know, they foul P.J. Tucker. P.J. Tucker hits one of two. Nets now have a chance to tie it up 
and Royce O'Neal and Mikel Bridges do not connect. Mikel, uh, Royce ends up throwing the ball in the middle of nowhere. Philly grabs it. Easy dunk. Game over. It was emblematic of this series and emblematic of large portions of this net season in terms of the opportunities that they have and the bipolarness of this team. The highs and the lows are as stark as any team in the NBA. Look, the Nets had a 35-point quarter and kept the Philadelphia 76ers to 18 points. You know, one of the best half-court, one of the best offensive teams in the NBA. And that was before James Harden was ejected. It was just like, how can you be so good and so bad at the same time? I think the Nets are the worst clutch team in the NBA. The worst. Yeah. Like when it's the last five minutes of a game, if the Nets get a shot up, that's like a miracle. And it just seems to me that they just don't like, they go away from principles that are supposedly analytically friendly. They don't drive the basketball at all they just keep they, do, pass- they wait until five seconds on the shot clock yeah and it's just like all right let's just dribble for another 12 seconds and i'll pass it let's dribble for another three seconds i'll pass it just drive and kick like spencer you can do that like in your sleep mikhail can do that pretty well cam johnson can do that pretty well Royce and neil can even do that okay it's just like why are we just continuously passing the ball around the perimeter yes the sixes are a decent enough side but Hunt the switch, get Tyrese Maxey and go downhill. And if you like, have to take a mid-range shot, take a mid-range shot because, yes, Joel Embiid is incredible around the rim, but he's in such deep drop coverage, he might as well be underneath like the baseline. So And he was on just, one leg. Yeah, and like he still had that block, which was, you know, I don't know what Spencer was it on was about. It was a good saying. block, but also like Spencer like just, just seems like he's not as explosive. Like I, It's funny because they showed the replay of the dunk he had in the Philadelphia, the matchup with Philly in February. And it was a two-hand jam in front of Embiid. And at this shot, he's under the rim, under the net, trying to kind of finger roll it in instead of going attacking the rim and trying to get, you know, potentially an and one. I mean, Spencer had a better game today, but there were still other opportunities, especially in that fourth quarter. There was a a possession where he had Joel one-on-one, top of the key, especially after he's been hobbling, and he elects to pass the ball instead of going at him downhill. Make the guy move. He was clearly in pain. Yeah, it was dumb basketball. It was low yeah. IQ basketball in those final five minutes. And a lot of that goes to the players. You know, yep. we've had plenty of our issues with Jacques Vaughn and he wasn't perfect tonight either. I but thought he was better than he's probably been in game one and game two. I would agree with that. He wasn't by no means perfect, but throwing Cam a, a bone and actually letting him play a few minutes and only limiting Joe Harris's minutes probably shouldn't have had any minutes at all. That I don't know. Joe why. Harris stretch was rough though. Like I don't know. Again, he was pl- he was positive in the plus minus. I don't know how Joe Harris does this. Like I don't know whether he has an in with the the, the NBA statisticians, but yeah, I just would have had Seth out there for those minutes instead. But in saying that, look, going forward. Like Spencer Dinwiddie as your lead ball handler, lead decision maker, isn't going to lead to good things. Yep. Like you just need to find a, an upgrade on that, and that might be the guy that was sitting courtside. Yeah, it really was. And if you don't know who was sitting courtside, it was Damian Lillard. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. 
Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And even thinking back to, you know, like the 2018, 2019 Nets, like the guy who stepped up was Karis LeVert. The guy who got downhill in that series was not Spencer Dinwiddie. It wasn't D'Angelo Russell. It was Karis LeVert. Not to say, you know, Karis would be great on this team, but it just goes to show. I think he would, Nick. Like, I I honestly, like, it just seems to me he would fit in the sort of prototype of, you know, guys that can just create a little bit, uh, are rangy, uh, are athletes. And I, I think that just can create a shot. Like, Spencer can't create his own shot like he, he can't he likes the in-between game he, he does and he, he's, he's okay at times but the thing that stuck out was that air ball on Tyrese Maxey I don't know how Tyrese Maxey blocked him on a, a goddamn post up in in game two but in, in saying that look he he certainly did step up but it, it's like the the you, you say you you talk and talk and talk and talk and there just comes a time where like you got to shut up and just do it like you got to go out there and like you just, I just look at <clears throat> the best guys in the league who just don't bother. They're not Dylan Brooks. They're not these sort of guys. They just go out there and hoop. You know, it's Kawhi Leonard, it's Kevin Durant. These guys just and Devin Booker. They don't really Devin Booker probably buys into it a little bit, but guys just just go out there and just like respect the craft and just don't buy into the the toing and froing. And it seems like Spencer is like creating this as well. Like he's it's self inflicted. I mean, some of it was Kyle Kuzma, but the stuff beyond that has all been him. It's just like, why? Like, let's just sort of like focus on the game at hand and go, look, I've got to be better and just sort of be a bit more, you know, internal about what's going to happen here. Not like sort of, you know, putting gasoline on the flames, but in saying that he was much better tonight, Nick, you know, he got to the free throw line a lot, missed a couple of crucial free throws, was a better playmaker tonight, was better defensively tonight, was more efficient from the field overall, but what sticks out is are those glaring mistakes in, in the final period. Yeah, and I think also, you know, it, it's just evident that Spencer doing he can't be your lead guy down the stretch. You know, he's a complimentary player. You know, he looked a lot better last year in Dallas playing next to Luca because Luca takes on all of the duties and creates and creates the advantages. And Spencer can't do that. And, you know, Mikel wasn't necessarily having his best game and they still have issues getting him to his spots late in the game. They also, just like you mentioned earlier, they get away from their offense. They get away that things were working. You know, when they were running sets and having multiple actions off the ball, they were generating some really good looks in that third quarter and making Philly move. And the issues that stick out are in the second quarter and the fourth quarter where the offense gets stagnant. There's a lot of dribbling at the top and there's just no movement. And it's so much just ISO hunting and they're not even able to generate a matchup where they feel like they have a really good advantage either. Yeah, it, it's Maxi's the only one that you sort of want to attack because James Harden wasn't out there. You know, look, you can take Joel Embiid on one leg, but I don't think the Nets were smart enough to get those switches. They're, they're not like a mismatch hunting sort of team where they should be, and they should do that a little bit more. It's just what boils down to in the fourth quarter. Like if that's what the the simplicity of it is, because you know, there's a lot of times where you're not going to get the time and and get the 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 ability to run, you know, more quality actions. I I think to an extent Nick Clarkson's ejection hurt them offensively because there yeah. was a lot of like handoff actions that he had and and his screening and his ability to get create guys a bit of space that I think would have helped at least somewhat. He was 
freaking with and beads lack of mobility at the point in the fourth quarter he was not able to help and recover on clax like he was able in game one and game two and that's where clax was getting some of those dunks the one that got him ejected and then also some of those in-between shots where he was just pushing and i don't know if you want to jump into the clax ejection yet or let's do it Nick. let's okay. just do the like the, the three the, the main incidents let's go back to early in the game where clax gets the post uh steps over Joel and beat i'm like all right, we know Clax is going to get a tech there, but Jill Embiid turns into prime Draymond Green and literally, like, he, like he's the karate kid, like, kicks Nick Claxton in the cojones. And I'm just like, all right, cool, so that's probably going to be an ejection. No, apparently you can stay in the game from that, which is incredible because Nick Claxton gets another tech after posterizing. And again, I think that was dumb from Clax, but I also think that the rules about just, like, mean mugging and just expressing yourself and just like come on man like this is basketball let's have a bit of fun with it and then james harden like is sort of elbows and gets rid of royce and in, in a flagrant what looked like a flagrant one i know you pointed that out and i thought it was as well but it ended up being a flagrant two i'm just like the officials like messed up all of those calls somehow apart from probably the clacks getting the second tech i think he deserved it but i also think i honestly that- don't i don't like this is the nba playoffs he posterized someone who kicked him in the nuts in the first quarter of this game and he stared at him he didn't even it's not even like he was like yo joel Embiid, you're a you know what i mean like he didn't even say anything and i'm sorry if that is the degree in which you're going to give text then Embiid should probably have like seven texts throughout this series because he's muscled clacks flexed on him numerous times doc rivers in the fourth quarter is slamming this the scoring table and he's not getting a tech but you're telling me nicholas claxton after a poster dunk gets a tech and is ejected for staring at somebody that is ludicrous in 2023 like what are we doing it reminds me of the nfl when they ban celebrations after touchdowns like get out of here with that nonsense that's the most incredible thing in terms of like negativity the nba officiating is embarrassing the and I think it's reflective of the NBA officiating, you know, overall. And this, this is season. two days after what? Uh, Draymond Green's ejected. I mean, a suspended a game for stomping on Sabonis. Yeah, it's it, it. Look, it it makes you scratch your head, Nick. It it really does. And look, I'm not saying that Nick Claxton's absence made the Nets lose the game. I actually think it had a very pronounced effect. I think that he was probably the Nets' best player, and you can make a, a pretty credible argument for in terms of his efficiency, his defense, his just intangible energy. Just like, you know, him being there, like, and just absolutely... He outplayed Joel Embiid tonight, and that's a full credit to him after being thoroughly outplayed and played off the court in a lot of respects in game, too. It showed, you know, the the ability to bounce back is something that you look to your players and, and you look to, to their character, and Nick Clax had showed that in spades tonight. If he had to play 35 minutes, the Nets might have got this win, and I agree. I just... I just, I hark back to times this season where Clax has done it a few times and I love that about him. I love his confidence. I love his personality, but they're, at the same time, this is, it feels weird. It's, it feels like we're like switching roles in a weird way. Like I'm the somewhat measured objective one and you're sort of like in your feelings about Claxton because I love Clax as much as anyone uh, as well. But- Honestly, I don't even think I'm in my feelings because I just think that it's not rational. And I think you know me pretty well. If things are irrational and don't make sense, they upset me because it just literally makes no sense. And I think it was a continuation of things not making sense. Like again, the James, James Harden should not have been ejected from this game it was a Joel Embiid should have been ejected Nick (laughs) yeah Joel Embiid clearly should have been ejected I mean I just don't understand how Embiid's not injected when we go all the way back to the 2016 finals Draymond Green kicks LeBron in the groin and he suspended a game can he be suspended like look I I 
a game four. But it doesn't really matter now. I, I mean, when I initially saw the play. I thought he was going to be ejected and suspended a game. Now I don't really care what happens because the Nets are down 3-0. But, I mean, I don't think – I just don't understand how you can do something that's so obvious. It's not even like – it was in. It was like during a play. You know, there was times where of the Draymond Green when he kicked like Stephen Adams in the groin, where it was like during a play. I can kind of understand it a little bit, but like Embiid was on the ground. Clax clearly baited him and stepped over him, and Embiid just lifted his leg up full extension and tried to do damage. Like uh, Richard Jefferson brought up on the Yes broadcast, like if Clax was rolling on the floor in agony. He probably would have been ejected, but given that Clax was kind of like celebrating, I think that didn't necessarily help the case. Yeah, it feels like optics matter more to the NBA officials and the NBA crew behind the scenes. Like, that's probably why Draymond Green got suspended because of the histrionics that he was showing. Yep. That's probably why Joel Embiid didn't, as you were alluding to, because well, Nick Claxton. But also go back, you know, a couple of years when Joel Embiid elbows Jared Allen in the face yeah. forcefully and, and laughs about it after the post game. Like, it's it did, like uh, Joel Embiid is, is on the same tier as James Harden, Kyle Lowry, these sort of guys. Like, I, I got. And he's a massive human. And like, it, it's again, I'll put it back on the podcast, repeat the joke because I repeat it on Twitter and some people seem to like it. My guy, you're never going to evolve from a Magic Carp to a Gyarados until you get your fat ass off the floor. Like, for God's sakes, Royce O'Neal is five <laughs> inches smaller than you, and Nick Claxton has about 80 pounds and 40 kilos less than you, and if you feel a feather of a pinky on you, you're going down like a Kate Moss in between a, a freaking floorboard. Like, what is wrong with you? Like, literally, you have insane skills. Like, you are generational as a big man. But if you were in the 90s, you would have been absolutely out of this league. Patrick Ewing, Hakeem Elijah, and all these tough dudes, you know, Bill Lambeer, they would have your ass, like, out of here. Like, in the modern NBA, Joel Embiid and James Harden are rewarded. And yet I hear Doc Rivers, like, pregame speaking about how they're not getting enough calls. It's ridiculous, Nick. Like, there's a... I, I love basketball, the sport in general, and I love the, the the purity of it. And there's reasons why certain teams and certain players irk me to no end because it's like they they throw the, the in the face of the integrity of the game. And, and again, like maybe I'm going a bit too far, but suffer. We're game three. This might be one of the final pods we're doing for a while. The the integrity of the game is like being damaged by losers like Joel Embiid, by losers like James Harden. It's it's. I'm done. Like I'm done. Like uh, I'm I'm over it. And like it's it feels like I should just step back from it. I'm like, look, we're losing these games. Like at the end of the day, and and a lot of it is on the nets. But I think we can be equally frustrated with the absolute utter bullshit that we're getting from the officials in Joel Embiid. And also, you know, we've been at the start of our podcast criticizing heavily our own team. Both things can be true at the same same time. We're not homers, all that sort of thing. I think we are because we're, we're Nets fans. But Joel Embiid, man, like uh, I, there's just going to come a time where, you know, the, the basketball gods and karma is going to come after you. And it's just like you're going to be crying again like you were in Toronto and – once you once you are crying, I'll be licking those tears up like Cartman from <laughs> South Park and Scott Tenement, man. Like, come on. Have some no. goddamn integrity. 
Uh, yeah, for real though. I think the the worst thing is when the refs reward the flopping. You know that Royce O'Neal play at the top of the key or to the to the wing a little bit where he like lightly makes contact and he falls over and Ben Taylor calls the foul. Like my guy, Fred VanVleet was right about you. Like what are we doing out here? I just don't understand how you can reward those plays. And then there's plays with obvious contact for both teams in this game that weren't called fouls. It's just really makes no sense and there's just no consistency in the officiating from a typical foul a common foul to a flagrant one to a flagrant two to a technical there's just no level of consistency and that's what makes it frustrating if they were consistently bad it would make more sense than them being like kind of good sometimes and terrible other times i just it just like you said it just takes away from the integrity of the game with all the flopping and the terrible officiating yeah, I think if you, you set the tone early and you eject MB, then that's just like, okay, cool. We know what's yep. going on here. But if you, you're setting the tone early and saying, okay, this is acceptable, then why is James Harden ejected and why yep. is Nick Claxton ejected? It just, like, it, making sense of nonsense is just impossible, Nick. And it just seems like there's been a lot of nonsensical officiating, not just in this series, but over the entire postseason as well as the 82 games. Like, uh, NBA officiating might be the worst in all sports and i follow you know afl as your rules down here i know you follow nfl i follow the english premier league and soccer and a lot of other sports like the the officiating in this sport it's it's different and not good different yeah it's tough i mean i thought it was strange that tony brothers was officiating this game in the first place given his history with spencer nudity like that just didn't make any sense it's like to Scott me Foster anyways. with Chris Paul like you know yeah. there, there had to be a time to, to break the curse and unfortunately we couldn't but you know but at the end of the day I, I think officiating played a, a larger and, and, and pretty significant role in what was going on in this game because more in this Nick, game than the other two in the series and and that's a, that's a shame because there was a, a, a lot of great moments and you know Tyrese Maxey was great Nick Claxton was awesome we got some great shot making from Mikhail Bridges and Cam Johnson and Spencer Dimwitty at times like if we had have hadn't had have not had the bu- all the bullshit that that happened with you know the flagrants and the non flagrants the text and stuff you know this game itself would have been something to remember but now I just want to put it into the deep recesses of my subconscious and hopefully I never have to rehash this ever again. Yeah, especially the late fourth quarter of this game where the offense just got terrible. And it, it's it was just tough. You know, it, it felt like a game where the Nets never really pushed the lead big enough. You know, similar to what we talked about in other parts of the series where the Nets were able to take a lead but not create that large gap to give them a cushion. You know, I think it was a part uh, – there was a stretch in that third quarter where two threes just rimmed out. It, they, yeah, they that was unlucky. Down. I think that's yeah. the basketball – like, I think it was DFS and Cam Johnson. Like, it was just like, how did those miss? It's just like the basketball gods don't want the Especially the DFS one. It, it was, like, really Literally. going around the rim, and I was just like, no, no, no. no. And then the Cam Johnson one, he, w- he looked too comfortable. I just, like, knew it wasn't going to go down, and it's tough. And this is, you know, Mikel Bridges had a really nice stretch to start the third quarter in this game where he went on that, like, little 7-0 personal run where he just really got the crowd into it, was making plays. It just, again, we talked about the refs not being consistent. The Nets aren't consistent enough, and that's why they're down 3-0 in this series. Like you mentioned to start the show, they show stretches where they are really good. That third quarter was their best quarter of the series. And then they follow it up with their worst offensive quarter of the series probably in the fourth. 
Yeah, I think it's it's emblematic of of where the Nets are as a team yep. and as as an organization. What you get out of the six to eight seeds is is moments and fleeting moments of consistency and an elite level play. You know, the Nets can be an incredible defensive team. There were stretches where like James Harden was getting you know uh, stripped, and there was all these different moments. Nick Claxton was on one, Cam Johnson was on one, Spencer was even throwing a, a few things here and there. And then you get like blow buys and you get miss rotations, open corner threes, all these different sort of things. And that's what the Nets are right now. And I think it's pretty clear to say that. And who knows what could happen going forward, you know, as we alluded to. It was very odd that Damian Lillard was at this game, let alone courtside. You know, and Mikel met- celebrating towards him. It's just like, look, he's sitting like Mikel Bridges is his favorite player. I think it's, we've seen plenty of mock trade proposals. We'll have to probably dive pretty deep into some of the Lillard ones going forward. Uh, on, on future pods, but focusing more on this game, Nick, it was nice to see Cam Thomas get a bit of a run, and maybe Jacques Vaughn has saw, seen mine as well as 40 million other Nets fans' tweets out there. Yeah, I mean, he started a little slow, and then he found his rhythm, and he was really able to generate some offense, had a really nice pass to Clax in this game as well. I think, you know, he has a skill set that the Nets could utilize. I think his biggest issue right now is kind of the defensive rotations, especially with the doubles on Embiid. But like we've talked about on previous shows, you know, maybe try to get his minutes out there when Embiid's not on the floor, you know, and see if you can give him a chance to just grab you a couple points. He grabbed six points and had an assist. It wasn't, you know, a perfect 11 minutes, but there was definitely some progress and you could see how he could potentially have a positive impact. Yeah, and look, I, I don't know if that's going to continue for game four, but it was nice to see it. It was, I think that you know, Royce, his, I think just the three-point shooting in general when it comes to our role players is just, uh, again, the simplicity, reductive, whatever you want to call it. But if the Nets aren't going to generate, uh, the Nets are generating, you know, as Javon said, you know, decent enough looks. And if Royce isn't going to hit him, if DFS isn't going to hit him, you know, it's just going to come down. And to, Joe Harris comes in for three minutes and misses three wide-open threes. I mean. That was a stretch in this game that really hurt. And the Nets were up in that stretch. But if Seth Curry is probably in those minutes, I have a hard time believing he misses all three threes. And I'm not the biggest Seth Curry believer. I just know Joe Harris sucks in the playoffs. <laughs> I, I do as well. Like, his playoff percentages are going to be something absolutely <laughs> drastic. I, know, like I kind of want to take a peek. <laughs> you, you can look it up while I go. I talk a little bit about Seth and Joe in general because... Look, Joe's been one of the most efficient 82-game three-point shooting players, three-point shooting marksmen going around. But when the, the postseason begins, he's not J.J. Redick. He's not, you know, Clay Thompson. He turns into, I don't know, he turns into someone who can't shoot three. He turns into Andre Drummond from the three-point line. Like, I don't know, like, what what, what happens to him. But in, at the end of the day, you know, nepotism keeps getting this guy minutes. Like, uh, I'm... I've loved Joe, and, and he deserves all the credit in the world for you know, reforming his his career in Brooklyn. But when it comes to winning basketball, and we want to win these games, every minute matters, and every player out on the court matters. So I think Cam, Seth, Royce, those are your three off the bench, and maybe sprinkling a little bit of Utah. You know, I'm I'm still wondering why we haven't seen a lot of that. And, and look, maybe it's because I'm one of the bigger Utah Watsonabe stands out there, but I think he's a good rebounder and the Nets have really struggled on the defensive boards and they want to create more pace. And well, you've got to get the defensive boards and then you've got to push. You know, Utah does both of those things relatively well. So maybe less than the 36 and the 30 minutes of Royce O'Neal give, say, 10 to 12 of those to Utah Watsonabe because I think he can be effective in that time. He might not fill up the box score, but he'll get a couple of boards, he'll get a dime. He also does really nice sort of straight line drives and little dump offs to to guys around the rim. So I think throwing Yuta Watanabe out there is a, another little wrinkle. I think that the Nets did well enough to not play Yuta Watanabe tonight. Yeah. But in, in saying that, 
But that's another thing that I have up their sleeve. You know, Edmund Sumner is is another guy that probably could be pretty positive, but I'd still rather see, you know, Seth Curry. I think Seth Curry over Joe Harris is just one simple thing, but yeah, it's it's set. One of eight this series and his career against Philadelphia in the playoffs is five of 29. That's, um, that's not good there. I don't don't know the exact percentages. Five divided by 29 is, you know, one six. It's like 17% or 18%. It's, uh, it's not good. Not very good. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's just rough. And Seth obviously has had some positive moments in the playoffs. Defensively, he's limited, but so is Joe Harris. So you're not really losing much. And I think Seth has obviously shown the ability to hit a mid-range shot. Joe Harris has not. He's also lost his ability to drive to the rim with the ankle injuries. So, I mean, that's that's really that was one of the weird decisions from Jacques Vaughn in the game. And ultimately, that probably didn't decide the game. It just felt like it was very impactful. But getting to Royce O'Neal, his Ice cold shooting from three has really, really hurt this team because you thought that was going to be a positive coming into the series. Yeah, it's weird because he was playing super duper well at the, yeah. the, the, the final for the 10, 15 games. I was seeing those three Probably balls. like the best basketball of Royce O'Neal's career, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. And like, look, we know he's got some decent enough playmaking chops as well. You know, he can rebound. He's got, he's just a good hooper in general, but the three point shooting just matters so damn much to, to this Nets offense. And when he's not hitting him, you know, and he's the, the guy that's left open on a Spencer Dimity drive or a Mikael Bridges kick out or, or whatever else it might be. And he's just left open. But at the same time, you have to play him because, you know, when the Nets are doing, when the Cuxton isn't out there, Royce O'Neal and DFS, are, Royce O'Neal even more so, is the prime matchup on Joel Embiid. So it's just like, look, it, and it, it, it just sucks that there can't be a, a level of consistency. But, you know, a lot of these guys are reflective of the Nets' struggles overall. Yeah, and it feels like the Nets have two players that the Philly feels really comfortable leaving open in Royce O'Neal and Dorian Finney-Smith. And Philly on the other side really just has P.J. Tucker. You know, McDan- uh, Jalen McDaniel, sorry, uh, doesn't really play enough minutes. He's not necessarily a volume three-point shooter. And the other guys, you know, they feel pretty good. They've Tyrese Maxey has been scorching hot. James Harden has shot pretty well from three. Tobias Harris killed the Nets and has really had a low-key good series for them. DeAnthony Melton has been super hot from three, too. I mean, they're just capitalizing. They're taking advantage, and they know the Nets can't handle Joel Embiid. Even when the Nets are rotating really, really well, they're still going to be a semi-open look from you know, Philly and they're making them pay and the Nets can't do it on the other end. You know, Philly shot 41% from three in this game. The Nets shot 33% and they made three more threes on one more attempt. And at the end of the day, that's the difference in the game. It, this entire series, the Nets haven't shot 35% or more. They, yeah, shot, they did it in the know, first game and it didn't matter because they got cooked anyways because they couldn't play a lick of defense. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So like it's just it, it is what it is. Like we could have just done that and, and just ended the podcast with a, a little two minute <laughs> sort of thing. And just go, Did the net shoot well from three? No, let's end the podcast. Thank you everyone for subscribing. Follow us on Spotify. Follow us on, on Instagram. It's just like, like, look, that's just it. And if the net shoot well in, in game four and play the same level of defense that they have in game two and game three, they're probably going to win. Does it matter? No, because no team's ever going to come back from three but it'd be nice to win one especially for the home fans and and especially just for that little bit of confidence and just as you know just holistically to just for our mental health to just go okay we got a w we got, we, we did better than or last at least season. like i just love to see them close a game and win like that would just give me some real that's joy not gonna happen though Ning. look I, I've got, the nets have to have like a 20 point buffer in the last yeah. quarter and get outscored like 28 to 18 like and yeah. just still like hold on by 10 points like that's just what it's what it's gonna have to be but there was at least some more promising signs. We spoke about in general about guys just playing well and playing to a level of their standard. Cam Johnson did that. Spencer Dinwiddie, 
for 90, 80, 75% of the game did that. Nick Claxton certainly did that. Cam Johnson did that. Mikael Bridges did that, you know, in, in, in fits and spurts. So I thought that the Nets offensively were better, especially that third quarter. And our guys just generally played better. But, you know, DFS was average. Royce O'Neal was average. And, you know, Joe Harrison, minimal amount of time was average as well. So I think that the Nets did enough to get this win. And as I alluded to earlier, like, you know, a l- losing, you know, an, a nigh-on unlosable game. It it almost you know you, it, it's flabbergasting sometimes Nick how easy this team how easily this team can just throw away winnable games. Yeah, it, I mean the fa- I don't know how I didn't see it coming that Royce O'Neal was going to just throw the ball to no one. And I like I talked to you before we hopped on. I thought that was a little bit of Mikel. He probably should have cut outside in that situation. But just the fact that they had the biggest miscommunication of the game and the biggest moment of the game, like, Oh my God, talk about frustrating to the highest level. And I think also, as I mentioned, you know, the, the turnover by Royce with the Tyrese Maxey thing, I, I don't even know how he turned over the ball, ball over. I don't know if Maxey got a hand on it or he just lost it on his own pump fake. Like that, that type of stuff just really just drives you nuts. And it, it you know, you kind of think about it in your head, like, Oh, if Clax wasn't ejected, would Royce still be in the game? And that situation is, does that even happen? You know what I mean? There's just so many what ifs just for this one game, as you mentioned earlier on. It, it felt like an entire playoff series in one game. Yeah, what ifs when it comes to the Brooklyn Nets is something that I don't want to discuss because the amount of what ifs that this organization has had for the past three years could make you pull your hair out, could make you just you know, have high-end anxiety, depression, all those things in between. But in, in saying that, there was moments, there was a bit of fun, there was, it was memorable-ish, but at the end of the day, the Nets are down 3-0, heading back home in a, in a couple of days' time, and the, the season is almost over, Nick. It, I, I don't know if that's a good thing, I don't know if it's a bad thing, maybe for our mental health it might be a good thing. It's ironic because last year at the end of the season, we're like, you know what? Oh, this, this this season could never, you know, next year will never be as bad as last year and like all this thing. And we're going with a lot of positivity. And again, it just felt like a whirlwind this entire year. And obviously it's not over yet. Like you mentioned, maybe the Nets pull out game four and they push it to five and just, you know, show a little bit of progress as a team. But anything else, Jack, before we get out of here? Um, Nah. <laughs> yeah, nice. I feel like we could keep going in circles here, and I think I would end up talking about Damian Lillard. But uh, that, yeah, that, I know. <laughs> like that, that again. Let's say that for some offseason content. Let's tease a little bit. Damian Lillard, yeah. Trey Young, all these sort of guys. The, the offseason played this game. Oh, bro. Um, um, Dame, like, okay, let's let's do the, <laughs> like a two minute Damian Lillard discussion because let's end it on a high because I think we deserve it as Nets fans yeah. and, as well as all of our listeners. Is there something? to look into with Damian Lillard being at that game, Nick. Is there something? I mean, why would he come across the country for no reason? You know, like he came to watch the Nets and sit courtside. Like he could have sat in a suite, but he wanted to be on the court up in here. He also had had some comments, I think, about Joel Embiid during the playoff series about like his flopping earlier on. So it's not like he's here for Philly. He's here for one of, quote unquote, his favorite players in the league in Mikel Bridges. And as a destination that makes a lot of sense where Dame could still be the lead guy but have a supporting cast and play in the Eastern Conference, get away from the West, Brooklyn does make a lot of sense. You know, when we get into the offseason, we'll jump into the contract and the trade package and stuff, but the idea you can understand. And I can understand, too, why people would be opposed to all oh, the Nets are star hunting again. But me, I'm never going to complain about my team having great players. And Dame is a great player. Yeah, and it's funny. Look, we can discuss the contract stuff, but just looking at the optics of it all, it, it, it's funny as well because 
you would probably know better than me, but am I wrong in saying that the Nets should have had Damian Lillard in the first place because of the yes. Gerald Wallace race? <laughs> yes. So it's just like, so look, I, well, I, another what if? Let, let's not get into what ifs. I, sh I shouldn't have brought it up. I, I eat my own words. But in, in saying that, th there is something. Th there's something to that because look, Damian Lillard's a West Coast dude. Maybe he spends his time in the off season going to music studios in New York and recording albums or something like that. Maybe he's just super good mates with Mikael Bridges, but. Sure, Marks was also there tonight. Joe Sight was also courtside tonight. Tampering, whatever you want to call it. But look, Weirdly there's... enough, Rich Kleinman was at the game too. <laughs> no, then, yeah, in, look, 35 ventures still going strong. But yeah, in, in saying that, where there's smoke, you know how the saying goes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we'll see what happens, Jack. Again, a positive note to end this one. Always appreciate you. Appreciate everybody listening. Check the buzz on all stream platforms.